culture collides with hip hop. Tell them it one more time. Some hip hop shit. The strength of a Jedi's in the code that we live Welcome to On Some Hip Hop Shit. Good evening. <laughs> or good afternoon. What up? Or morning. Morning. Brando Calrissian. How you doing, man? Wednesday's finest. Yeah. Good. Yes, good. Yes. I'm in here. We got a special guest with us today. Absolutely. We usually have special guests with us. Yeah. It seems like every guest we have is special. Do you, you, you... Are you trying to make me feel less special? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a trend. That's I... on you. <laughs> Keep on bringing in people who I just need to catch up with. Yeah. In real life. You got some good friends, man. It's a good strategy. Yeah. All right, before we introduce the mystery man of the hour. Indeed. But if you've actually read the promo on the website or iTunes or whatever, you actually know who he is, but we're going to build up the anticipation in case you don't. But we are here live at Meltdown Comics, 7522 Sunset Boulevard. That is in Hollywood, California, where not only do we record on some hip-hop shit, but lots of cool stuff are going on, or is going on. We actually are doing the Meltdown show right now, which is our weekly comedy show, 8 o'clock every Wednesday, Jonah and Kumail just killing it. Killing Comedy it. Central? Yeah. Just, you know, I just mean, a small little indie network. Yeah, just yeah. Ha just happens in the back of a comic book store. <laughs> also like to let people know cool that shit. the amazing, mm. amazing logo that we have to signify on some hip-hop shit. Boom. Created by the wonderful Self Uno. Self. Is available... Uh -huh. On a T-shirt. Get your T-shirt get your, get your game right. I so, need that. So go to T-Public. That's T-E-E public.com. And you can actually go to backslash Meltdown Network and get all the Meltdown Network T-shirts. Or click the link in the iTunes caption. And then boom, you're right there. And you don't you have to write shit down and look at this i mean you can get your meltdown on some hip-hop shit t-shirt in all kinds of colors gray blue everything and then you can even get them in the cool baseball sleeve shirt too so it's amazing man there technology technology hold on here it goes check it out we gotta take that option off what the slow option? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, no raglan softball shirts. I I got one. Oh, you did well, of the history of, of the Batman one. Okay, not right. a, not a, on some hip hop. Shit. Yeah, yeah. We're stepchild. There you go. All right. Well, anyways, let's get to some. <laughs> we important... ethered Batman last week. So. <laughs> not the show. Comma. Yeah, yeah, it's not the show. Well, history of the Batman. Big up. If you guys are 
anywhere in the Batman fandom, that's a must listen. Oh, yeah. It's a must listen. London, along with Adam, get busy, and they done it to the tune of a few hundred thousand Instagram followers. Mm. Uh, and it's all with merit. It's all like a master class in, um, in the Dark Knight. Without further ado, let me bring in the man of the hour. Okay. Uh, Let's raise a glass. Raise a glass. Cheers. Cheers. Um, next to me, we have Paul Stewart, cool. uh, uh, director of content for OverTheEdgeBooks.com, CEO of OverTheEdgeBooks.com. Yeah. Paul. Janitor as well. Janitor. <laughs> Paul, I was just saying to him off mic, Paul is a is an entrepreneur. Serial uh, entrepreneur. Serial entrepreneur. Started, I, I, I don't even know if I'm going to do you justice, but among his many accolades, Paul uh, did the Oscar winning Hustle and Flow soundtrack. Yes. Wow. That's true. Paul... Uh, I believe was the president of Def Jam West. Yeah, I opened up the office for Def Jam on the West Coast. They didn't have one at that time. Opened up the office of Def. He's, he's one of the early people in support of amazing music groups like the Far Side. As a manager, I discovered the Far Side, Coolio, Warren G, oh House God. of Pain. I was their very first manager, not for very long, and then. Um, I got a label and I signed uh, Montel Jordan. This is how we do it. Was on my label and so yeah, I had some some I had a nice little run in the '90s of mm. a bunch of hits. Yeah, right. And yeah. and and has gone on to long career in music supervision for TV and film, and um, clicked up with we clicked up with Paul about four or five years ago on a comic book project called LA Three Thousand. And little did I know that was one of the inaugural pot. Uh, projects that was one of the inaugural projects for over the edge over books. the edge books it was the, it was what the uh what created it it was the you know the impetus that's what's up yeah yeah <laughs> and I, and now you're in how many titles how many titles but, do you have over the over edge? 30 over 30 titles yeah congrats yeah, yeah and this is authentic it has a hip-hop you know feel to it street literature right we have what yeah, it's the con the the content you know scans some uh, over some different areas, but it's it's all edgy in mm-hmm. content, hence the over the edge, and a lot of it's very urban, you know, hip hop, drugs and you know sex, drugs and hip hop or whatever type of a thing, you know. Uh, yeah, we have street lit, we have biographies of you know kind of underground cult hero type people and things of that nature, uh, and. Uh, you know, we're just uh, we're an outlet for uh, you know different kind of content that that other a lot of other publishers aren't putting out. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, yeah, I just take my hat off because I remember when it was an idea. You know, when it was a germination, you're like, I'm gonna do this, and I'm like, I think Paul might do this. <laughs> here we are. I mean, you have the new book from Darlene. Um, Ortiz. Ortiz. Yeah, Ice-T's first uh, wife, yeah. Yeah, so if anyone remembers the first al- second album cover to Ice-T's magnificent run of albums. Power. Power. There was a woman on that cover, and on the back, 
and it just blew i think every young man's mind they sold a lot of records for the cover yeah a lot of people (laughs) bought that record yeah she she was on a couple of his covers but that was the most that she had the shotgun and she was in the g-string and it was just so in your face and there wasn't that and and the back shot on the back you know we're basically in the g-string and it, it was just it was pre the whole video vixen era. There, right. there weren't images of women that looked like that. Mm-hmm. You didn't see that. You know what I mean? Now, you know, it's like it's Instagram, everywhere. you know. She actually. Yeah. That would be tame, you know. She set the tone. Yeah, she was a, a pioneer. Um, does she know that? Yeah. I yeah. think she yeah, does. Yeah, I mean, she has a lot of friends in the hip hop community. I mean, you know, the, the, her story is very interesting. It was a hip hop love story. She met. Ice T at this club, uh, radio, which was like LA's underground hip hop club, like the only hip hop club. First, it had been like a regular nightclub, and then it it had some problems, and so they reopened it on some like youth center for underage. And that's when she went there. She was like running away from home, mm. and Ice T stopped by there one day to rap, and was like, "Yo, who's Shorty?" You know what I mean? And then the rest was history. But she was like, so, and then at first, she. Um, she supported them for a little while while he was trying to get out of crime and, and get his act together. And then, you know, it's like a fairy tale, you know, and then he went off and got the deal and brought her front and center, put her image and everything. Like, no, what any, no rapper had put his girl as part of the marketing. Right. That was yeah. completely unique mm-hmm. and made her a part of like his whole persona. And then uh, they traveled around the world and, you know, and she was a part of like the earliest rap tours in the book. It's a lot of hip hop history. There's all these pictures of like, Chuck D looking like he's 12 years old, you know, like MC Search with a pullout radio. I mean, like, you know, there's all these, you know, there's wow. some real like hip hop head like uh, stuff in there if you're interested in, in hip hop yeah. history. I can imagine because, uh, you know, the and book, some sexy and the, pictures and, of her from back And the book, uh, if we didn't give the title, is Definition of Down. Right. And that's Darlene Ortiz. And you definitely see in the book you know, how small the industry was right? at that time in the right. mid-80s, early to mid-80s. Like, it was a thing where, you know, she talks about being down with New York MCs and, like you said, well, you know, was the, what, ice, there was no separation. Well, ice, ice was, you got to understand, pre-NWA and everything. So he went to New York because right. they weren't giving anybody deals in LA and he got down with the Zulu Nation guys and go. then that's how he got his deal. Yeah. Through Warner Brothers. So it was like they, Melly he convinced, Mel and all he convinced, those guys. Yeah, and Africa is on producer. Mm-hmm. He convinced uh, you know a New York music executive at Sire Records or whatever to give him a deal, you know, and um and he didn't know he didn't know anything about hip hop. So he didn't know that you weren't supposed to be from LA because it was really kind of like that at that time. You were only everybody's from New York. You know, right. so uh, so then she, they were on all these tours with all the big rap artists who are all from New York. I mean, there's pictures in there of him with Scott LaRock. Yeah. KRS early yeah. on. Mike Tyson. I mean, they looking like a little kid. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, this is at the beginning. Yes. Yes. Or the beginning of the golden age. Yeah. 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 And she just tells the whole story. Huh? Yeah. And it's great. You know. It's it's really it's really uh, yeah it's re- and it, it was just such a, a great project that's what, like that's the kind of project why I start why I started the book company right? how how does this come to you like wh- well, how does how does Darlene get to you well you know I've known her okay forever but you know it's hmm. interesting how the conversation started was 
uh, a clothing company, uh, a primitive who looks like we're about to do a deal with, had approached uh, a streetwear company, you know, hey, do you know Darlene? We want to see if she's got some images and we can, because people had bootlegged that image. Mm-hmm. And Glenn Friedman like shut him down, you know. That's he was photographer. Yeah, the famous right. photographer Glenn Friedman. He shot all the punk stuff, and then he shot all the New York hip hop. St- you don't know him, man. I'm just talking to the people. We talking to the people. But um, I actually wouldn't know him by name. Oh yeah, he's, but I know the I know the photographs. He's got some famous books. Yeah, and yeah. I knew yeah. that Power had that iconic photograph from a famous It was like the only time I ever shot like a woman. He shot all the punk stuff. He shot right. all the Dogtown stuff. Yeah, he so, shot the And skaters, then he shot all the like right. early New York stuff. So he's a really interesting guy, you know. But um, yeah, he had shut down the people were bootlegging it. And so, but he was, he loves Darlene. So he let her use it for the cover. And now she's going to do the deal with Primitive. But that's how it came about. So I called Darlene and said, hey, the streetwear company wants to do this deal with you. And she was like, oh yeah, that could be, that'd be really cool. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get this book going. And I was like, you know, I got a book company, and she was like, "No," and I was like, "Yo," and then, you know, boom. So how did you boom. meet? How did you meet her? Well, like back in the day, I was really part of the LA hip hop scene. Like I used to do this club called Water the Bush that I was involved in as a DJ, and also like I kind of helped like a promoter manager of it. And and Ice T was Ice T's was majorly affiliated with the club. Where was the club? Oh man, it was at the Stardust Ballroom on Sunset near Western. It was crazy. We had like Ice T, Public Enemy. It was only open for a couple of months. But we had like the list of people who performed there mm. was like just phenomenal. It was huge too. That the building isn't there anymore. You know, it's like where the Home Depot or whatever is. You know, there was a huge club there, but um, you know, it was real grime. Hollywood was real grimy there. You know, the yeah. Booyah Tribe was our security. Oh wow! <laughs> and then really? one week they didn't show up. They were like, you know, they were pissed at something, you know. Right. That was a really crazy, like, hip-hop run. Like, like they were like, basically it was like, Paul, like, okay, you're going to run the night, you're the white boy. Like, you're more responsible, maybe. It was, like, chaotic up in there. <laughs> the Booyah Everyone tribe. Everyone came out of it alive. <gasps> yeah. How, did, how did they become security? They, I mean, they, I know they how the they biggest are. dudes right, in the right. room. Everybody was fam. Yeah. You know, Cypress Hill performed there. Like, I put on at that space, not at Water the Bush, but right at that time, I did like a showcase, and it was like the first time Cypress Hill ever performed. They performed there. Um, Mugs and me lived like a couple blocks from there on like Normandy and like Sunset. It was real grimy mm-hmm. over there, you know. We <laughs> yep. lived in this little apartment complex, you know. Right. And uh, yeah, so it was like, you know, it was just such a small little scene right then. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a DJ street promoter initially. And then that led to uh, me starting to manage the artists and everything. So yeah. so before we get there, so you met Darlene just through that circle? Yeah. Just to tie up that. Neither of us could remember. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So then, <laughs> Where and when. But then you started managing artists from that? Well, what happened for me was I was a DJ and I got out of college and it was like, I didn't know what to do, and I ended up getting this internship. Actually, I had started this little magazine. It was called The LA Informer, and we had two issues, and we interviewed NWA. Mm. And I got these crazy NWA pictures that I'm about to flood the wow. scene with sometime soon. But cool. anyway, the um, they were like, can we take out our guns for the picture? And we were like, sure. They were like, no one else said let us take out guns. Mm. And they'd been in Rolling Stone and Spin, but you know, they, you yeah. know, they were so conservative back sure. then. You know, and so. But we interviewed Latifah. It was her first trip to LA. 
and NWA. So I was doing this wow. little magazine, and I, and and I met this guy at Arista Records, and I got an internship. So I started interning, and then I, you know at the same time I was DJing, and I started to like as my DJ thing started to kind of rise. I started to do some bigger clubs. That's when I started to meet people like like Ice T and all that. You know what I mean from doing doing that. And then I was working at record labels. I after Arista, my internship, I got a job at Delicious Vinyl. And I worked for like when Young MC and Tone Loke's albums were out. I was doing promote. It was, it was like really small, you know, like yeah. Mellow Man Ace was part of that family. And so Send Dog and all them were under him, the Cypress Hill thing. So like I knew everyone through, you know, Classic. we'd all go to the same little clubs and yeah. try to holler at the same girls. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah. a mess. There you <laughs> go. PMP. Mm-hmm. Power Move that was my street. That was my street company power move promotions power move promotions yeah and when we changed it then it became my label okay yeah yeah a management company and everything so yeah pmp and, and and paul was always at the center of the madness oh yeah. i used to throw a lot of parties oh yeah and there were, all, there were always girls I, yeah i was known for that <laughs> we still Is that know, why russell made you uh the president of def jam west was it the girls at the party it didn't hurt man it, i'm sure it didn't hurt you know <laughs> i definitely got some business from that nice you know it was funny when i was first getting started i was managing the far side and groups like that we're like I, who is this dude pm is he a pimp like pmp right. like he's just where did he come he's got all the girls but some of the cats from New York that would meet me, they would say, I thought they would know me from the music thing. They're like, oh, you're the dude who throws the parties with all the girls, you know. So I, and I kind of realized the, like, power of that. Mm. I try to keep it up. Yeah, you had a casting I, business I, for a I while? I cast music videos for oh a long time. God. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that was a rough job. <laughs> <laughs> I occasionally dabble in it. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're Did gonna. You, when we do this, man, it's gonna be the new the the LA three thousand. When we cast that for real, we're gonna we're gonna yes. take that to a whole nother level of of uh, sexiness. And let's talk about LA three thousand for a second. Yeah. Um, well, I fell in love with the Mad Max era of movies and everything as a kid, and 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 I just always wanted to make a film like that, and the whole kind of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, low budget style filmmaking. You know, uh, Grindhouse, the, the Roger Corman Grindhouse, that whole yeah. thing. You know, just I thought that you could, especially what's really interesting is you see how these quality directors came out of like some of those like things, and so it's like you could make something good. It, well, like I was really, I remember when I read that book about the the guy who did El Mariachi. You know, he talks about. You know, you know, he made the movie. Basically, he knew if he put a guy with a gun on the cover, he could sell it for X amount of dollars. Right. Then he's gonna go try to make the best thing he can make, but you know, at that point, so if, so my idea was like, hey, we have sexy girls, you know, my Mad Max theme, but with sexy girls in it, and and that's gonna sell. And then can we make something really cool around that? Can we make something culturally? And and I wanted something that was, I wanted to make a movie that was uh, 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 authentic to kind of like the the hip hop thing, because I feel like Hollywood has appropriated hip hop, and now we're getting like their version of it. I wanted to do it a little raw. And when was this? Uh, this book's been out for a couple years, you know, and after it was funny is like he said, this was the impetus for starting a company. And then I did stuff like the Michael Miller photography and I kind of got distracted from really trying to pursue this. It was expensive to manufacture. It was expensive to make, 
you know, paying these artists. <laughs> oh, man. Shout out to the Brett, Mad, Mad Twins. Mad Twins 8. No, not really. They gave me a deal. But, you know, for me, I started selling books and realized, like, I, this is not good in my in my up and down, my red and black column, the comic, right? You know what I mean? So I kind of strayed from it. And we only did this little sampler. So we didn't really get a chance to kind of, like, we've sold some Stretch copies, out. though. Yeah. And we continue to sell some copies. It's available, you know, as a digital copy, you know, currently, if you want to buy it. Uh, uh, and uh, I think it's special. Overtheedgebooks.com. That's right. And we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna shoot a short film of it. You know, mm-hmm. I got in, I, you know I showed it to Snoop one time. He was loving it. You know what I mean? So I mean, it's like it, as we get situ- the company a little more situated, we're gonna focus on LA three thousand, and we're gonna probably try to approach it by maybe shooting a short film. Yeah. to show people the concept and see if uh, uh, you know we can move it on from there. Well, I think it's interesting from the time that it started in taking Mad Max, you know, aesthetic along with the you know kind of grindhouse aesthetic, uh, Escape from LA yeah. feel, and putting a multi-ethnic right. female protagonists at the head of it so interesting the direction that mad max the re right. the reboot they you bit. know took yeah they bit our shit they saw la 3000 come on no. charlie theron was up in here we sold it in meltdown man come on man and there it is <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe no, no, no. but we're yeah, ahead of no, our time yeah, yeah ahead of ahead of the time and just you know about time well i see that's what's incredible is like even though you have this history at like, you know, like you said that you had the girls around, you know, that right. was a draw for the guys. Like you're a guy who has a lot of like, I mean, I would say you're almost a feminist. Like you have a lot of sensitivity when it comes to women and you. Right. The whole thing for me was about making really powerful women. Right. Because like, I felt like the characters and a lot of these, even though the women are always kicking butt and everything like that, there's always a dude mm. that's pulling the strings and stuff all the time. You know, especially a lot of the, the movies like, uh, in the mainstream films that get made, especially, you know what I mean? Some of the really like low budget, like shocker, you know what I mean? But, you know, I wanted to, I, I just wanted to do something with some cool sensibilities, you know, like the stuff that I grew up on and liked and, you know, thank you. That's awesome. No, yeah. it's true. I mean, yeah. and, and I, I, I think that's why girls probably will like feel comfortable with you, you know, and, and go to the party well, and girls, queue up. Girls love the LA 3000 thing. Yeah. We was going to, we were, we were working on some, um, uh, you know, the cosplay like stuff with girls on it and everything, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and girls eat it up. I mean, cause it's very sexy, but it's also very strong. Mm-hmm. And you know, right now, I mean, it's like being sexy for girls is like nothing. They're already, showing it all so you know give them a little bit more give it a story give it a little more edge or something exciting you know something about it you know what i mean and uh uh you know so i think uh no i think it's gonna be great we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna push on that one man that's gonna come out la 3000 check for it check for Support it over it. the edge book street that's legends right. inc was that the only comic you ended up doing to this point yeah but we're open in fact fans of, of comics if you've created something you're looking for a home graphic novels things like that you know you know, we're we're looking for stuff. Yeah, I'm sure we'll. You know, I'm sure we'll do a lot more. You guys are acquiring all the time. This is yeah, another book that I wanted to quickly touch on. Curtis My name Snow. is Curtis Snow, and I'm a G. Right. <laughs> we have the coolest titles. Did anybody <laughs> question that? I don't think so. Uh, well, yeah, Snow on the Bluff is was a, like a Netflix phenomenon. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's super entertaining. 
And uh, it's just this crazy story about this guy, Curtis Snow, uh, who's from the bluff in Atlanta, like this super like heroin dealing, you know, drug ridden neighborhood with like nothing in it. Uh, you know, no stores or, you know, what liquor store or some crazy. And and anyway, he filmed all this stuff that happened in the hood. Then he met this director and they pieced together this movie and, and they made this kind of brilliant thing that's semi-based in his real life, which is kind of like a tragic... It's, a, it's the most powerful anti-drug dealing movie you'll ever see because mm. there's none of the Hollywood rap stuff in it. Like, the dude goes to jail, all the money he was making selling dope, he had to... He had to pay for his bail you know they come to shoot him in real life they shot his brother in the movie they shoot his baby mama uh you know like i said the story's a little different but it's based on a lot of like really you know very close to true things in fact right after the movie came out there was a world star video of curtis he had been slashed with a box cutter from like his top near his ear like all down his neck like all the way to like so gruesome you know and he was like showing the taking the stitches out i mean you know this Mm. dude's life is like right when we did the deal with him he went to jail so it took a long time to finish the book i've had several authors die on me mid negotiations a lot of the books that we've published have been written from behind bars you really have to move on these deals fast yeah man otherwise they're gone (laughs) subject matter one one of those books we closed with the uh the estate so but yeah Uh, wow and and uh, that's what's crazy it it, i mean there there really is there really you really found a niche there really isn't an outlet that's doing this you know i there was, I found, when I, it's interesting because when I was trying to put the business plan together, I was trying to look for competitors, you know what I mean? And, right. and, and I didn't find many, any people that were really, you know, there was like super ghetto street lit companies. There was like real cool white boy companies that did like graffiti books or something, you know, and things like that. But, right. you know, that might've done like the Michael Miller, but you know, would have maybe done some of the books, but no, not, it was really empty, you know? Right. Um, so, Yeah. We're open to get picked up by a major publisher or something too, or a deal, or, you know what I mean? So we're open to discussion on any of those. Kind well, of I mean, I don't, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, it's, that's what's the interesting thing. It's like you're, you're, you're taking your management skills, your A&Ring skills, and you're just putting it into a different medium. And, uh, I mean, that's exciting. It's a medium with a lot more, um, kind of, lack of representation well you know i I feel like for somebody like the three of us i'll say the kind of interest that we have maybe you know i feel like i mean i know you better especially the two of us there's a lot of things that we our needs aren't being serviced right the kind of projects we want to see there you know and so i felt like okay i had done all these movies as a music supervisor and kind of watched urban culture because most of them were like urban films and kind of watch the people that were doing them and the way they were being done and the whole thing and everything. I was like, okay. And I was like, how do I get in this game the way I want to do it? And I said, then I came up with the idea of putting out the content as books and trying to do a kind of a, a quasi Marvel model, mm. not such a like buyout, you know, screw the artist. Not saying that Marvel screws the artists or whatever, but you know, not that kind of a thing where it's like hypothetically a, a, not like speaking, a, not a work for hire. You know what I mean, type of situation, but more of a partnership where where you know we we'll be partnering with them uh, on film and TV rights. So kind of a hybrid, but a bigger back end percentage than a traditional publisher would give. So you know, try Great. to just come real new school Great. and offer a fair deal, and and, and you know, also I always try to offer people the opportunity to 
you know, put out their content, you know, the way they want to do it as much as possible. You know what I mean? So give people creative freedom, you know. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, I mean, we edit stuff, of course, and we do all that. You know what I mean? But within reason, we, I try to let the content provider really have a, a, a good say. And, you know, I mean, like we took forever laying out Darlene's book because there were so many pictures. And she's like, oh, I need that picture of my grandma in there. You know what I mean? And right. so it was like, you know, right. <laughs> you know. But I'm proud of what we did. I mean, it's like you look at a lot of books by if I used to come out and it's like, you know, there's a little section with a couple pictures. And I just feel like that's old. You know, we tried to lay out our stuff just more, you know, I don't want to say magazine style, but, you know, it's appealing to the eye. Yeah. I mean, it's not just your standard book and it's not your standard magazine. It's a little hybrid of both. And it's uh, it's entertainment you know, in a new way, and which is something it sounds like you've just said, I'm going to do it and I'm going to create my own company and we're going to do the stuff that I would like. And most people, you may not even know you want this, but here it is. Like for me, I'm looking at this stuff and every book that you brought here tonight, I want to actually start looking at right now. Uh, and, oh, man, and, I love that. And Brandon is looking at it <laughs> right. as we are talking. Hey, do so, the interview, Brandon. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But it, it's, yeah. I think it's a testament to what you're putting out. Thank you. And it's like, how do I continue to look at this stuff while I'm doing other... I mean, it's just amazing. So, Well, well I appreciate that. Well, well you know what? I, I've been in the industry for so long, so I knew so many talented people. And then when I created this avenue and I said, hey, you know, we're out here and we're doing this, just all these people just started like... Brandon was saying just start coming to me because the outlets for a lot of this stuff are not that open and they can't even really reach people. You know what I mean? Like Darlene probably could have got a deal with a major publisher. Right. She had talked to a major publisher and they were so offensive and like, you know, they wanted her to lie and change her story. Mm. The guy thought she was black. I mean, Ortiz. I mean, she's, you know, he, he just said something about, you know, that yeah. was really racially offensive, you know, uh, to like anyone of color, <laughs> you know, and like, you know, and it was just like, yeah. and so, you know, when I heard that story, I was like, you know, there was, I'll tell you a funny story I used to tell people, I was, I was doing the comic and I was like, yeah, you know, and I found somebody that had some street lit and everything. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do this company. You know, I was reading about the digital publishing revolution, how it was changing things. And I, 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 it reminded me so much of the music stuff and everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And then I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's Curtis Mayfield's son, one of Curtis Mayfield's son. And he, I was trying to help him get a film project, like a Ray going, and it you know it was tough. People weren't really that excited. And I said, hey, we should do a bio, a book. Mm. And he's like, yeah, but we should, you know, because there is none. And I was like, whoa. whoa. Right. There's no, <laughs> right. There's no biography of Curtis Mayfield. I was just like, there's oh, gaps. Like, there's just a lot of things that are, are, are missing. Like, yeah. the, like, like the light bulb kind of went on my head. Like, I was doing this little, I'm doing this little street lit shit. And everything. I'm like, now, there's some significant, like, contributions and that's when I decided to do stuff like call Michael Miller and be like, What do you guys sitting around? And you know, and 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 um but you know, everything you see too, man, is the low hanging fruit, really, because we're a really tiny company. And um once we kind of get off the ground, man, like, you know, we're gonna really dive in and and, and have some some great stuff coming too. Well, but I appreciate the, yeah. the compliments. Well I mean it's it seems like what you do is respect the integrity of the artist or the creator or of the content provider. And then what that ultimately will do is if you are respecting the story for what it really is, and just, yes, adding the professional edits that you would hope you would get when you buy a professional sure. product, 
But if you're respecting the story, you're respecting the content, you're respecting the integrity, then people will come to that. Yeah. You know, I thanks. I, I just but that's what I've always believed that too. Like I'm immediately drawn to things that are authentic. Mm. And it looks like every book you put out here, and I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here, is authentic. I mean, this looks real. This does not look like it was done by somebody who has no idea about what, you know, street culture is about. This looks like it came, but it's professional. Well, you know, that's interesting you say that because that was one of the goals too was I felt like a lot of stuff that I loved wasn't getting the treatment that it deserved. The respect. And the respect, right. You know what I mean? And so, you know, now we have like street arts and museums and all this kind of stuff and everything. And, you know, but, you know, it, things have come a long way in some regards, you know what I mean? But mm. still, I feel like sometimes the people that are in charge of doing these kind of things, so they, they miss certain things or, or whatever, you know? And so like with the Michael Miller book, the... History of West Coast Hip Hop, that was like a big one. It was like, let's present this photography of like basically gangster rap stuff for the most part, though there's other kind of music in there, but you know, that was viewed in a certain way in more of like an art book style. You know what I mean, and 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 try to present it that way. And um, and and to be clear, this is a full size coffee table book. Right, it's something that would have the heft. You know, add the right. heft to your living room, right? In style, right? Uh, yeah. So you know, but but that's really been my thing, and even like you know, with this book that we have coming soon, the capturing hip hop. Uh, uh, this book with this guy followed like Kendrick Lamar around from like the MySpace days, and so you know, he's got all the new new school rappers. You know, like right. ASAP Rocky and Kendrick are on the cover and stuff. You know, and and his story. I saw really that. Cool. I saw. I saw. The homie DJ Khalil. Oh, all here. your friends are in there. Yeah, yeah, that's from LA Hip Hop. Yeah, and that's a really interesting thing because it was like he, it's like it's called from a fan turned photographer because he sto first started doing it just because he loved hip hop and he was at these shows. He got in this camera. He had no plan what to do with it. He, you know what I mean or anything. And then one time somebody was like, "Hey," one of the artists was like, "Let me get some of those." Or you know what I mean. And then it turned into this thing. You know. But um, he realized it was a photographer, right? But he um, and he grew, you know. But he uh, the access he had to so many cool things. Um, you'll see. I mean, he he. We have like so many new school artists in the book. I mean, everyone from like Drake and Rick Ross, big artists like that. To, yeah, that's a dope. There's a yeah. picture of a two page spread where Kendrick is, you know, on uh, this guy's cell phone. And it's spread out into a giant picture, which is really cool. So it's just little touches like that. So, so you've obviously got awesome product. I mean, we're down. So how did you develop the idea or how are you getting this out to the people? I mean, you have a website. Sure. But um, what else did you do? It, well, it's been pretty grassroots for most of the projects. You know, um, you know our Instagram, uh, uh, you know, our Facebook, our Twitter. You know, with like the Darlene Ortiz book. I, I spent more money. Uh, uh, me and her flew to New York and we did, a, I hired a publicist and we did, a, you know, like Hot 97, Vibe, Complex, The Combat Jack podcast, um, some serious XFM shows, uh, Mass Appeal, uh, you know, so we really got some pretty good press, you know, for her in, in the space of where places where people should care about her, yeah. you know, and uh, especially, you know, I wanted to get on like, breakfast club and wendy williams and we weren't able to do that but you know hey we got some great stuff and um you know so per book i try to do that um 
she was great in all the interviews. She told stories about how other publishers wanted her to lie and over the edge let her do. You know what I mean? And 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 when people asked her where to buy the book, she said, you know, to buy it at our website. Of course, you buy it at Amazon anywhere. You know what I mean? But um, so you know, as we have success with other titles, it it helps people find us. You know what I mean? Um, but um, it has been a challenge being a small company. Uh, you know. Um, the marketing and, and getting it out there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so um, I'm continually looking for help in new ways and interns, maybe paid social media interns, if you're out there, um, and really good. You know, um, but, you know, uh, pretty grass. We've been lucky. Like a lot of our books have gotten some pretty good coverage because of who they are, even though maybe we didn't really hire publicists or stuff like that. You know, we've been covered in, you know, XXL, Complex, Rolling Stone, Huffington Post, you know, on on different of the books, you know. So um, we just try to do a little press push, you know, when we drop the book. And then some of the authors, like my man Legend right here, hip hop, uh, uh, he's got Young Lokes on the West Side, uh, uh, which this is great. John Singleton made all the writers, uh, staff writers for his show Snowfall and all the actors read this. and one of them was the famous writer who wrote um, um, Devil in a Blue Dress. Oh, Carl Franklin. No, director. He's a director. Right, right. Uh, oh, Walter Mosley. Walter Mosley. So wow. Walter Mosley read my man Legend's book. But, uh, yeah, Legend <laughs> is crazy, right? <laughs> but uh, because it was about the era and all uh-huh. stuff. But, like, Legend buys these books and runs around L.A. and sells them himself. Right. Yeah, we, you know, he's a hustler, you know. Um, I'm thinking, and I'm trying, I think I'll put his energy into just doing sales for all our books. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, so uh, me and him were discussing that tonight. So, you know, um, just been trying to get the word out there, you know, because of my background, I've been getting interviewed a lot for some like hip hop podcasts and stuff. And so, you know, obviously, you know, I yell about my company whenever I can. Well, it's, it's cool because... It's kind of like you said, some of these books take, I mean, even though we know each other, some of these books seem to take on a life of their own, you know, like the, my name is Curtis Snow and I'm a G. Like I've seen that like at least a dozen places and none of them were related to like me and you communicating. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, no, we, we, you know, we have a little niche, you know, if you're, if you're into some of our stuff, you're liable to like some of our other stuff. And, and Curtis has been one of our biggest books, you know, before Darlene, it was our biggest seller, you know, and I think Darlene's going to eclipse that, but yeah. Okay. How, of, how is it dealing with the bookstores? You know, we've been kind of outside of that system for the most part, you know, we've been dealing directly to consumers and- So and, no even independent bookstores- very few. Like right. with Michael Miller's book, we were in Hennessy Ingalls and, and Amoeba and some stuff like that, you know. And like I said, we've been in Meltdown. Meltdown show, sold Michael Miller and, and sold LA 3000. Um, I'm about to switch manufacturers and I'm going to be able to sell to bookstores much easier because the way I've been manufacturing has been like a print on demand and my cost per book is, is, is so high that it, it makes it hard for me to sell to bookstores. And I don't think I've had a lot of stuff that bookstores necessarily would necessarily be interested in, you know. Um, like I said, obviously with Michael Miller, we did a pretty big, you know, but, um, I'm at that stage where I think we're ready to kind of reapproach that. So, you know, so I was saying, I'm hoping to, to bring in someone to help me deal with that area, you know, being the janitor, the CEO, <laughs> the acquisition, the, right. the head of production, you know, yeah. I have somebody, a woman named Lily that's been helping me with production. That's been really great. You know, then even awesome. on the next level question then. So obviously we've got books in front of us. Right. 
is this a dying art or is this a dying product well, books i mean because in comics right now you know that's a lost leader the, well the story right. was well it's actually turned out that comic book print print comic books are okay They've mm. survived. They've actually, mm. you know, kind of rebounded a little mm. bit. And by the fact that now digital is so prominent that people are There's still, a revenue stream there. Right. But right. people now are actually wanting to go see a real comic book. Sure. So yeah. I just wonder oh. how you're dealing with the me, the digital versus well, the print. You know what's interesting? When I started, I was like so small and my whole concept was that I was this kind of a almost like a tech company and so I was doing everything I was only selling digital copies of stuff I wasn't even barely manufacturing oh, books oh wow I mean even though LA 3000 was a comic from that which we did manufacture and and it was it was so expensive the whole process of creating everything I was kind of like I start I start and and I sold a lot of digital books and then I started making I found I could do the print on demand and they were pretty good quality you know what I mean and they were like okay and people weren't mad at the books and you know and so then I started making everything and now I'm selling a lot more physical books. Wow. Mm -hmm. My digital books are doing okay, but, you know, and it just depends, you know. And so uh, it's really interesting, you know what I mean? And so uh, my digital books were stronger before, and I had less titles and not as good titles, which mm -hmm. is weird. But I think that could be like when DVDs came out and people bought anything that was on DVD. Right. I think I experienced some of that with digital Where books. because Everyone I was had a Kindle. I was a little early, yeah. yeah. And plus the area I was in was so probably under- uh, uh, populated, you know, at that time, but, um, you know, um, but our sales numbers are going back up with, with, with the couple, with the couple of the books we put out recently, like Darlene's and it's helping everything else sell. And we have some other new exciting books. Um, we just put out this book, uh, about, uh, I don't have any copies ring, but it's, uh, how the CIA started the shower posse in Jamaica. And it's, uh, you know, wow. it's like a nonfiction book about, you know, not, not a uh, uh, conspiracy theory, but you know, kind of it's conspiracy theory ish. But I mean, it's more based in it's fact. With I mean, some evidence. There's evidence, definitely. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of evidence. I'm not trying to. I, fans of conspiracy theories would like the book. That's what I was trying to say. And okay. people that are just fans of like political, like social, like you know, intrigue. Yeah, like who is the shower posse? Oh, it was like the biggest drug dealing gang uh, uh, from Jamaica. Yeah, their 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 story is crazy. So if you like wow. like real crime, like. Mm -hmm drug dealer stories that kind of stuff it's, it's but and you know things about the cia and everything so my man casey wrote that book uh fame uh you might remember him he was a rapper he had the song white girls mm. as what was his hip-hop what was his rap mc name mighty casey mighty i'm from la yeah he, white girls he did oh, the, <laughs> right right no he's from new york okay no, yeah All he's right. a hip-hop journalist nice. for a long time and everything and yeah okay. yeah so anyway, so so that book's case. out doing well for us, and so you know, as it, like I say, the the new books come out, they tend to like you know the murder dog books just came out, and so you know, it helps stimulate interest in the company as a whole, and mm -hmm. and we seem to just sell more of other books, you know. So, but oh, to answer your question, because we got sidetracked, I look at my company as a content company. We make videos, you know, trailers or at least something to promote, you know, all of our. All of our there's video content to go along with every book. Got it. And um, you know the idea is that all these all these could be you know long form content if they're either doc if they're nonfiction they could be documentaries mm -hmm. if they're works of fiction they could be adapted into film and TV works and so right. the idea is you know and and even if people don't buy the book maybe they'll watch the video you know exactly. to answer your question that it's a dying form you know what I mean so like maybe there's a business in uh, uh, you know us being a, a 
a content provider of, of more uh, video content. You know, our YouTube page has got some great stuff on it. Check it out. Um, we're not quite at the pace yet where we're going to be making a living from our ad dollars on the YouTube page. But, what is the YouTube page? Uh, Over the Edge Books. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Um, and you guys are on the gram, too. Right? Yep. Yeah. Over the Edge Book. Okay. One too many letters. Yeah. Uh, and if you go to our page too at the top, all the social media, you know, the YouTube, nice. the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter, everything's okay. right there. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Um Well, you know, if we want to rewind for a little bit, let's talk about hip hop. Yeah. Let's talk about the nineties. Okay. In LA. Yeah. This is the time period that you're saying. You know, a lot of people are interested in researching right now. Right. You know, there's been this, VH1 had the movie The Breaks come out, um, and- I heard it's good. Yeah. 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 You haven't seen it yet, I want to, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia for that era, I think, you know, the golden era and all this kind of stuff, you know, and it it was a very exciting time, you know, I mean- um, it was a the hip hop was a small community, so everybody kind of knew each other. And you know, you'd go somewhere, and Q Tip would be there, and Mugs would be there, or whatever. You know what I mean? And so, um, and it led to a lot of really creative like collaborations and all this stuff. You know, and and uh, and I love I love listening to Combat Jack's podcast because I find out all this. Stuff. Oh, he produced that. And so you know, that's a damn good podcast. Oh yeah, man! He, Shout out. He gets major guests. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was hard for us to get Darlene on there. The scheduling was almost didn't work out. I was brokenhearted, but but we worked it out. Nice. Yeah, he came yeah. through. She that was out. nice. Yeah, but so you know, I you know it was it was it was a very exciting time. I you know, no one really like when I was uh, getting into hip hop. No one looked at it as like a business because there was no hip hop business. The idea of getting rich <laughs> from hip hop was like non-existent. Right, right. No one had. Right. It's funny. I was listening to some rap record today, and the, the guy's talking about is it not even that that like early early record he's like i think it's eric sermon he said well tell me how come no rappers are really living comfortably mm. mm-hmm. and this was like not even epmd's first album but it, just right. to go to show you like right. like back then it was like nobody was really making a lot of money mm-hmm. in it and especially at the beginning people were doing it because they loved it so right. i think that was what was really authentic and cool about like any kind of cultural movement like when everybody's in it for the love of it you know, and that's what made the hip hop thing so exciting. You know, and then and then when the big companies got involved and started throwing the money into it and everything like that, that's when it it gets kind of like corny. And then we have, you know, the state of affairs. Though I love a lot of new hip hop and what's going on right now, but you know, we have the state of kind of the corporate corporatization of like hip hop. That's dumb. Um, and we had, like you said, there was no, there was, there were no record labels on the west coast no that especially dealt with the niche that was hip-hop so on the east coast you had def jam right you had little pockets well, well if you think i want to say mercury you well, know. well in new york there was like profile right. def jam there's all those labels but like we think about what's crazy is like there were so sugar hill right there was no labels in la to the point that like priority whose first release was like the rate the california raisins it was like a commercial with these little raisins singing in it a marvin gay song right you know like they were hardly a rap label and that's who and after they put out nwa they just kind of became a rap label because it's like oh okay they put out you know easy right. and ice cube right. and everybody and they just kept where, winning. where can we get some more of that right. but they were never like based in hip-hop they just started making money off of it go oh yeah we'll go here it's a bunch of corny like you know yeah white guys in cowboy boots or whatever, you know, <laughs> running it. So, yeah, no, I mean, you know, 
the culture in LA was different. You know, I became one of the things I did a lot is I connected a lot of people from New York to LA. Like mm. when I started working with all those companies in New York, when I because I wrote for the Source, like I was an early writer for the Source. I covered what was happening in LA and stuff, and I got down with a lot of people from New York. And so you know, I was kind of like. They'd go, where do we throw a club? Where we do our listening party? Or, you know, whatever. I would like, you know, help people with the scene in LA, you know? Okay. Dope. Yeah. Dope. And what was it like? Uh, I mean, I remember on the way over, I was listening to um, Bizarre Ride mm. to the far side. And Marvel used that. Didn't Marvel use that in the, in the hip hop co- covers? I think so. Bizarre ride, mm, yeah. I was really proud of that cover because I was friends yeah, with Slick. How did that come about? Well, me, I was friends with Slick, you know, and he he um I knew him from Melrose Graffiti, and then he his little company fucked or whatever, and so, mm. um, okay. and so okay. you know when the Far yeah. Side when we we're thinking about their album cover, somebody I think had suggested maybe getting like a you know a illustrated or whatever, and I was like, oh, and I introduced him to Slick. Mm. I don't get. My dues, I don't know, I'm not saying I don't, but not too many people know that, but I, that's one of the things I'm most proudest that I did. You know, yeah. I feel like that's such a monumental. Oh, yeah. And, and I, that, that's the kind of guy I'm at. I just be like, oh, you should meet this guy. People tell me they're like, yo, you changed my life. You introduced me. I'm like, what? I didn't even know. They're like, yeah, you introduced me to so, Leor or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. No, that, I mean, that was a dope introduction because. Yeah, that's a great you know, He got some inspiration to. to to do that background, I mean, that's crazy. Well, I, Slick was just bananas, man. Yeah. I mean, he was just such a talented, you know. I've always been like a big street artist fan and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. but so, you know, it, it was, you know, I lived on Melrose back in the day and there was this big like LA graffiti kind of scene, Hex, the dude Hex and Slick would like battle each other on the walls there. That was like, still, obviously this day, there's all that graffiti up there, but you yeah. know, it was kind of like the main, a main spot in that, in that era. You know, and I lived over there. That's I lived over there. It was like Delicious Vinyls offices right there. Steve Rifkin was right there, and and uh, was really like hip hop central. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Melrose was the was the apex. Yeah, yeah, because you could record go to, stores, yeah. comic book stores, Sporty LA. Yeah. yeah, before anyone was a sneakerhead, you just get sneakers on Melrose. Melrose was like the thing yeah. at one point. Yeah, yeah, that was it. That what was year it. is you talking? The all, all the nineties, really. But actually, up Probably until like 90s. ninety ninety five. Yeah, at one point it died. 90s. Yeah, it totally. It cratered. <laughs> it like it, <laughs> everyone was completely out on Melrose. Like, and and by nineteen ninety six. Yeah, and it's. I it, like I like going down Fairfax now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People waiting in line. Yeah, Fairfax has a, a little similar, yeah. similar type of feel now. No more Damiano. Did you guys like see that uh, Supreme hip stores? You know Supreme, that company. Sure. They put out a T-shirt, KRS-One, by all means necessary album cover shirt. Mm. Things oh. so like you couldn't even get it; it was gone. I don't even. Well, know other people. stuff sells out, it's right? Crazy. Almost immediately. Everyone's right? waiting. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, this is pre-hype beast culture. No, I mean, I think, you know, I think it's great that companies like Supreme and stuff, you know, do things like that to help educate. I mean, I'm sure some people learned who KRS-One was through that, yeah. right? Yeah. And they went and listened to some of his music. He had some joints. Yeah. You know. They should mm-hmm. put your books at that store. Yeah. You're right. You know what? While everyone's waiting in line, sitting out there. Have uh, your dude go out there and hustle books, man. I'm telling you. Well, you know what? So many stores 
seemed like like that carry little books, a, a couple yeah. of books. Like now, you know what I mean? Like, like especially if it's music related they or something. Curate you know. the books. Ruka carried uh, some of our books. They bought like a nice little box. Uh, we did stuff with Black Scale. We've tried to, you know, we've done stuff with Upper Playground. You know, we did an event with them. We've been we've so, been we've been trying to be pretty involved with like streetwear companies and stuff. You know, um, uh, we did a uh, we had this short lived collaboration with Pimp C's Estate, and and we did like a Black Scale T shirt and stuff with them, and nice. I got them a record deal. Wow. So you know that's the that's the thing where it's like I say look it's, it's like all content right you know what I mean so mm-hmm. like yeah maybe it's a book but maybe you don't read the book and maybe you watch the video yeah about the book right yeah so we were talking about though about little music in the nineties oh, yeah. and then we, you were talking about Far Side for a quick mm. second um so how long were you with them uh well I was there I managed them I got them their record deal I shopped their demo and then I worked through their whole first album so I didn't work with them and when Jay Dill and stuff on their second album but the whole B- Bizarre Ride album and and you know like after that the tour and everything so you were there in the studio when they were recording yeah 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 no, it's funny it, it's funny when I met them it was crazy it was we were in San Francisco at this uh, rap convention called the Gavin Convention and Razkaz uh-huh. was friends with them he was a they were all dancers. And he, like hip hop boogie dancers, you know, and he brought him upstairs. This room was real late and I, we were all smoking and drinking and everything. And he was like, this is, these guys rap or whatever. And the guy, Lano Brazil, whose rumor was, was like, oh, you should rap for this guy. He gets people deals to me. I had only gotten House of Pain a deal. It was the only group I ever got a deal. But, you know, and there was a guy from Tommy Boy in the room. He was like a marketing guy. But, you know, there were some right. other people in the room. But yeah. he gave me love. And they got in his little huddle. And then they jumped out and they and they did your mama and they were jumping on top of beds and everything and they were talking about they're talking about your mama ate thirty two burritos and we were just like already so high and faded. We were just dying. We were laughing so hard. I remember the next day I asked my homie, I was like, Were they that good or were we just that fainted? you know? And he was like, No, they were good. But um nice. Yeah, and then it's funny, you know, their first manager was this guy Reggie Andrews, who teaches or did for a long time anyway at Lock High. He was Tyrese's teacher too. Uh, in Watts, as in Watts, and and he was their manager, but he was all old school. He worked with like uh, those groups on like like the Whispers and stuff, and so like because before they were the Far Side, they were called Two for Two, and they were doing very unoffensive R and B hip hop. Mm. And like when they did Your Mama, which was their first song as the Far Side, like he didn't want to play it for the A and R's. He he thought it was like you know offensive. You know he didn't. Right. He was an older dude. He didn't yeah, get it. You he know. Didn't get it. And I heard it, and I was just like, oh my god. You know. And a lot of people slept on that demo. Like we put, the demo had passed me by far side. It had your mama passed me by and uh, wow. Hey officer. Wow. On the demo, and a lot of labels slept on it. I was, and then and, and a lot of a fair amount of labels slept on that House of Pain demo that had Jump Around on it, which is even more unbelievable to me. Like how you couldn't hear that song, like you should be fired immediately. By the way, before because I want to ask you a little bit about House of Pain, but I saw Farside recently, I think within the past year, and I just can't remember which venue I saw them at, but they performed that whole album. Right. Where was it? Do you were you well, there? I wasn't, but I missed all those shows. But was it at the was it at the uh, 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 what they call One Oak now or like Billboard Live thing or whatever? Or no, was it at the Whiskey or the Roxy so, or yeah, something? So, yeah, somewhere on the Sunset Strip. Yeah, right? it was amazing, yeah. man. Mm. Just they they did that whole album from start to finish. That's great. I yeah. love shit like that. It's so funny. I've done a lot of things, but that's the coolest thing I ever did. The like hustle side. and flow. That yeah. was cool, but yeah. the far side still. Like all yeah. these years later, like you know what I mean. I, just because they were in the studio, there was no thing that had come out 
like that. No, there was yeah, no yeah. Yeah, blueprint yeah, yeah. for something yeah, like yeah. that. Especially from for the them West to be Coast. that free. No, right, right. Yeah. They were real influenced by the all the, 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 the native Beasties, tongue stuff. Right, maybe, right, right. Yeah. But but and then Souls. We heard Souls demo, Souls of Mischief demo when we were both shopping our demos and we were just like, Whoa, you guys, we were like kind of kindred spirits, you know. Right. But um yeah, no, it was definitely super unique. So give me know? a give me a good studio story for when they were in the studio. Something that you can tell. <laughs> it's not what I could tell. It's like, what do I remember, man? I mean, like, you know what, man? It was like back then. Well, I, I remember one day we went to Roscoe's and we met Superhead. Uh, uh, so that's fairly entertaining. But, All right. but you, you know, I think one of the funniest Far Side stories I have is recently is that Snoop was interviewing them on his show. And then he was asked, so how'd you guys get your deal or whatever? And he was like, well, you know, they were like, you know, at that time, you know, we, we thought, you know, we needed a white boy. So, you know, you know, we got our demo of this guy, Paul Stewart. And he, and it, or, or something, no, 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 no. They said, we got our demo of this guy, Paul Stewart. And then Snoop goes, white boy, Paul Stewart? And then they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we, we thought we needed a, a white boy. And I was, and th- that time, you know, that was our dude or whatever, you know. And then Snoop goes, yeah, but he's half a, the motherfucking man. <laughs> no, no, he, a word I can't say, homie. Oh, oh he's happening, <laughs> right? And I was, it's hilarious. And they, and they start going, "Oh yeah, he was great. We stayed at his house." And, oh, because the funny thing is, when their first manager was their manager, when he left them, when they left him for me to manage him before I got him their deal, they moved in. I had a one bedroom back house. He on said, Sunset "Paul's from Baldwin Hills." <laughs> no, but when they moved, when I when they left their manager and came with me to the far side, I had a one bedroom back house. In, uh-huh. in Hollywood, and they moved in, and so before I got them their deal, so like we were all they were like sleeping on the floor, mm-hmm. and it was like at night it would just be like the bag sessions, like your mama, like that was the like the funniest time, right? Like you know Man. the golden when the before anybody's got any money, they didn't get the deal, you know it was like everybody's so hungry and fun. I remember the the chick for A and R from Def Jam came over to our house to my house, and, you know they were. <laughs> She was fine, you know. They were all drooling. They were all, we want to sign a Def Jam with the jackets. <laughs> they were all like, they wanted the Def Jam jackets. That was mm. the big. <laughs> that was the point of signing to the label. Yeah, your mama got wooden legs with real feet. Well, with a kickstand, wasn't that the one? You're right. That's right. another one. Yeah, yeah. That was their one. That was on the song. I think he said they change it. Yeah. Several. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. They keep going. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. But stops. you know, I was the same. I was really lucky. You know, another funny thing about the far side is that you know, um, I was friends with Big Boy, the radio DJ from oh, way, yeah, way, Power One Hundred Six, right, from way way back, and um, we used to DJ together and all this stuff. And and so when I got the far side as my client, you know, I got him the gig to be their their security, hmm. and that's what led to him basically hooking up with like the cats at Power and getting on the radio. That's crazy. Yeah. To, so some you, extent, to some extent, that, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to take credit or that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So did you get to meet then all, yeah, like, you know, the Baker Boys? Do you remember those guys? Oh, super well. I helped the Baker Boys a lot, too. I got the Baker Boys on, like, um, at that t- at one point I worked for Ice Cube when he had street knowledge, and I introduced the Baker Boys, and they ended up producing on Yo-Yo, and they did a remix for Ice Cube. Oh, so they got a bunch of production uh, placed uh, from that. So, yeah, and that was early in their career. So me and the Baker Boys have an incredible, those are great dudes, man. Because they were putting a lot of good stuff on the radio before yeah. anyone else. Oh, they're super early. That okay. book, if anyone's really interested in hip-hop history, they should read that Dan Charnas book. Uh, and there's a nice couple pages about me in there, too. But, okay. uh, yeah, the the business of hip-hop or whatever. and um, big payback? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And um, he talks about that. 
That's, That's great. amazing, man. That's great. So the far side, the skills that they had back then, I mean, were just ridiculous, freestyling and all that? Yeah, they were freestylers. They were B-boys. They were hip-hop. They were really into it, like, you know... You know, uh, you know, they were battling and all that stuff for sure. You know what I mean? It was like a, a real, you know, and their thing too was like nobody in LA got any respect. You know, like they used to go to that place. There was this place, the Freestyle Fellowship, the Good Life good Cafe. Life, yeah. So they would all go down there and they would battle and, and all that stuff. And, you know, it was like there was a whole other scene of LA that wasn't about Chucks and gangster stuff. And so, you know, they represented, they were kind of the guys they got to represent that in yeah, a lot absolutely. you know but there was a whole community of those yeah. kind of freestyle fellowship that's what i was saying yeah 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 there was a whole came out of there yeah there's a lot of movement i mean like you know and those guys liked dj quick or whatever it's yeah. like you know that's what people don't understand it's like right. like most of those people are from south central it's not like they don't like ice cube or something like that but it's like they like x clan or they like uh roy Ayers too you know what i mean they're like mm -hmm. a little deeper than like you know so there was a lot of people that you know culturally were like just into more stuff than kind of just what the west coast represented you know what i mean and so they spoke i think for a lot of people and that's why i think they resonated so hard and you know oh, that yeah. and just that whole oh, yeah that whole like i always had those kind of clients when everybody was saying i'm the toughest guy or this i got all the money like coolio his first single was i'm standing in county line you know which my he's an ex-crack addict you right. know every time i got all the girls and they're talking about she's passing me by you know i was yeah. always just attracted to that you know kind of like you know yeah. well, doing something different it's, it's like they still play it today and a lot of these you know this as a music supervisor they're still making placements on songs like um i wish i was a baller i wish i was sure. a little bit taller you know it's everyone can relate to i mean sure you have the you know hyper masculinity you know bravado aspect sure that that people relate to but when you strip it all down you know, everyone puts their pants leg on one leg at a time. Sure. Everyone has their vulnerable moments. And you saw a lot of that in West Coast hip hop, but you didn't see it broadcast to the masses. But that is interesting when you think about it, because when New York hip hop was, you know, mainly the only force coming out of the hip hop music world. You could. There were so many different kind of groups. You mentioned sure. X Clan. Right. There was, you know, Cool Modi. There was Public Enemy. To Kid and there Play. Was, there was just all everything. But, De La Soul oh Tribe. Oh my God! Right, you right, could right. do whatever you wanted. Right. The West Coast. You start NWA, and it's almost like if you're not doing that, right? Are you even LA? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and that was a real stigma, and right. I think all the yeah. all the young artists out here felt that. Yeah, you know they, what I mean? Oh, and there yeah. was there was a movement of so many artists, like these guys, like Volume Ten. You know, yes. there was part of that kind of movement too. You know, there was yes. like the, the freestyle festival. You know, the guys were saying, hey, "This is not." And to me, like I say, it's like, look, you know, if you come from that the black community, you know. You see, there's a lot of different types of people. You know what I mean? So the far side just represent, like I say, Ice Cube loved the far side. When I met Ice Cube, was talking about working with him, and I, you know, and I did start working for him. I told him man, as the far side, he's like, "Oh, I love them. They're great." You know, it was like, you know, and don't think the far side didn't love Ice Cube. You know what I mean? So it's like people love to like simplify, you know, and 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 stereotype and generalize and and you know and and, and do this thing and and yeah, and I think that's some of the stuff that I don't like about hip hop right now, where it's a lot of like, you know, everyone's kind of like it's kind of one note. In, right. in a lot of aspects yeah. on you know? the radio for sure oh yeah like yeah, the yeah. content is already predetermined right so and then it's just like people saying the same thing in different ways and with a different beat well do you think that had a lot to do with why people passed on the far side 
Well, it was like the people at that time that were at the record companies, I don't know if it's different now, but I mean, there, there was a lack of understanding of the hip hop culture, you know? And then, see, you know, what then what happened was then the BDS sound scan era came in and then there was like no A&R, it was just like, well, what's popping in North Carolina? Then we sign it once it's already bubbled up regionally, you know what I mean? So, oh, this record already blew up. But see, at that time, it was still the era when you went into the office and played a demo and the guy sat there and goes, okay, I like it. Then they played it for that. We think this could be a hit. It was actually like record people, like <laughs> non-existent anymore, you know? Right. So like, they don't do that anymore. They don't sign things because they think it's good. You know what I mean? So, but you know, the people that were listening to the music, you know, it was like, what's that one rap song where they talk about the A&R with the hiking boots or whatever? Like, you know, they weren't, you know, the people that were a and and stuff weren't really that much of them, weren't really that attuned to the culture. So it was easy for them to pass on something dope because they didn't even understand what, what, what was happening. Yeah. They were into like Najee or they were into like some smooth R&B or whatever. I don't know. Whatever, you know, <laughs> there was a disconnect. So yeah. give me your house of pain real quick. You- well, you know, uh, I was a street promoter, and and I was working for Tommy Boy, who was one of my clients. I did, I did, I was like on retainer for them, so I worked all their releases. You know, like Naughty by Nature, Queen Latifah, you know, De La Soul, and and so I I I met, you know, I knew Everlast from these clubs and everything that I did. And Everlast was a part of the Rhyme Syndicate first, right? Everlast had had several attempts. In fact, there's a <laughs> there was a joke in L.A. back in the day where they said like. First he was Mexican, then he was Italian, and now he's Irish or something. Because like, because yeah. Ice T had like marketed him in like one album cover kind of right. dressed like a cholo, and then one where he was like slick back hair. He was like the Italian Don mom. Yep. They didn't know how to like being a white rapper wasn't cool back then. Not, it, it, there, it wasn't. There was, it, there wasn't. It wasn't viewed as cool, and it was. They were trying to. They didn't know how to do it. They didn't know what to do. They're trying all these crazy things, and so, you know. Um, but yeah, I had known Everlast like. A lot of people in there. I knew all these people from the LA hip hop scene. You know what I mean? And so seven A three. Well, right. he, that was Muggs' first group, sure. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but, but, um, and I knew Muggs very well. And and Everlast, you know, they, 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 I was one of the only people that was out in the scene that that knew record labels. Now I was at the, I was doing street promotion. I wasn't exactly like you know, but I talked to like at Tommy Bar. I was talking to Tom Silverman and Monica Lynch, and you know what I mean. So, right. you know, at least I, you know, there wasn't a lot of like there wasn't a lot of business music business stuff in the hip hop scene at that time. Like so, you know, the fact that I worked for labels at all was kind of like, you know what I mean? There was like, there was a real disconnect. There was this whole underground scene, and there's this music industry that has nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? So he just came to me and was like, "Hey, man, you know, Cypress Hills thing hasn't really come out yet. It's not popping, and we need our own manager, and and uh, uh, I want you to manage us." And so I started shopping his demo around. And uh, in fact, I, at that time, I got. In Herb, there's an old issue of Herb where it's like, I wrote a review of it and they put his demo up and they put on PMP Records or PMP or something because that was the name of my management record company and they wrote the review that I wrote of House of Pain's demo. But um, yeah, and then I got him to deal with Tommy Boy who I worked with as a street promoter and okay. uh, promptly got fired. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was one of those... Are you double dipping? Oh yeah, man. Okay. I was ripping him off blind. Oh, come on, man. Um... <laughs> Um, hardly. No. Um, you know, Cypress's manager basically pressured him and said, Look, if you don't sign with us, we're not gonna put you on the Cypress Hill tour. Ah, uh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. You were supposed to be with us the whole time. Uh-huh. I know we weren't paying attention to you or whatever. Right. I had a contract, it wasn't signed. We'd been going back and forth between the lawyers. Uh huh. You know, so it was like my first thing, you know. Yeah. Everlast came, gave me like, you know, 
a very a very small amount of money, and, <laughs> and and told me my services were no longer needed. And uh, you know, was that hard for him to do? Could you tell it was hard, or was he? Just, it was harder for me to well, take than it well, was for him to do. <laughs> he was <laughs> going on tour. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Uh, well, I mean, come on. There's some loyalty issues, right? He didn't have any? I can't get in his head. Yeah. I can't get in his head. I, I could just tell you that I've worked with artists for a long time, and, and artists typically are easy to say, like, it's all about me. Right. In any situation, like right. you're lucky to be working with me, you know, and here's a better opportunity for me. I'm gone or whatever. Because they have to have a crazy ego in order right. to, to be even, even get good up enough to be an artist that yeah. could do that. Right. right. You know what I mean? So and the so, rule is to get the contract signed before. You know, a management contract in California, man. I mean, you could sign it today and leave me tomorrow and I'd right. be forced to sue you. You know what I mean? If try to get any income. So. Yeah, I mean, I think don't manage artists is is the lesson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's a tough one. But um, I don't know. You know, sign their publishing up or something. You know, yeah. I, mean? no, no, I don't know. I don't. You, you look. You know, every situation's unique and different. You know what I mean? It's like uh, you know, maybe I wasn't cut out to be the right. Maybe I didn't want to be a manager. You know what I mean? Maybe, you know, maybe it's not what I was built to be. You know what I mean? I don't know. You know, look, I. I'm good friend. I mean, like you know, I'm good friends with like the Far Side, and I'm on cord. I'm good with. I'm close with Warren. You know, I don't really ever talk to Everlast, but I certainly have nothing against him or anything. You know, sure. and I'm sure he doesn't have anything against me. Whenever I see him, each other, which is very rare, super friendly. You know, um, you know. So I don't, I don't harbor any grudges. I will keep it 100 percent real on these podcasts, though. You know, and I don't cut cats slack. You know what I mean? Like you not might not like the way I painted the picture, but I can tell you this: it's one hundred percent real. You know what I mean? I I bide my tongue every once in a while. Like I might not talk about somebody who I'm worried about, maybe uh, uh, some business or something, or whatever. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Or like, do, yeah. come out here and do something bad for business. I'm not gonna be bad mouth and Suge Knight or anything like that <laughs> on this podcast. By the way, we <laughs> sipping on some. Uh, what are we sipping on, Adam? Oh. We are some si- fine beer. Some fine beer. We're sipping. It's ale, I bet. Actually. It is ale. Game of Thrones, Three Eyed Raven, ale. Mm. Good stuff. Yeah, it's official. Official brown liquor. There you go. There it is. Um, or brown beer, as it were. HBO. We got the HBO symbol on it, so we know we're in, we're in good hands. It tastes, it if tastes you, official. If you guys get a stomachache later, <laughs> drink at your own risk. But um, no, I, we were talking about all kind of beverages. We were talking about uh, how at one point we thought it was a good idea to drink Crazy Horse forties. Uh, wow, <laughs> I remember when when we did that interview with Latifah on her first trip to LA. She was like, "I want to try Saint Ides." So we went to the liquor store and got St. Ives. That was like a big attraction. But yeah, I, I worked for Cube around that era when people were doing those commercials and everything. And it was a real, it was just when that awakening was coming up that like, you know, these malt liquors are really bad for you. You know what I mean? And like, I'll, you know, people are dying from like Mad Dog and Cisco and all this stuff. And like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you know, but uh yeah, now, I was talking to my friend the other day about how bad all the stuff like Alizé was. Just like first there was the Alizé run, then there was the hypnotic run. It was like you know, right? Oh man, the if whole you, bottle popping culture is the worst. That that that's the most retarded. Like I'm gonna go pay all this money for something that I could buy at the liquor store for you know, right? I go to Bevmo. That's not hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> 
on some hip hop shit. So, so that's a quotable. Yeah, on some new hip hop shit. What are you liking right now? Oh man, uh, a lot of West Coast stuff. Kendrick Lamar, Ty Dollar Sign. I like cats like ASAP Rocky, Axon Bronson. Um, uh, uh, I like all the. I like a lot of the turn up, like mindless. You know, I like uh, 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 what's the dude's name? Uh, gunplay. Gunplay. <laughs> you know what I'm talking Rick, about? Rick, yeah, yeah Rick Ross artist. Yeah. I got Maybach. a white bitch. <laughs> I like a. Uh, I like all kind of music, man. Yeah. Where, are you, yeah. where are you finding it? Where are you? Where Spotify, are uh, uh, DJs. You know, turn me on to stuff. Um, uh, young people mm-hmm. that I associate with. Um, yeah. Definitely not the radio. Yeah, no, no. definitely not the radio. Uh, but There's you know, no I mean, every once in a while, there's some. I listen to KCRW sometimes. Yeah. Uh, shout out Anthony Valdez. He had me on his, on his podcast recently. Nice. Um, I um, yeah, I um, I like a lot of uh, uh, down tempo electronic kind of music and stuff. You know, some uh, indie rock meets that you know i'm real versatile in my music taste you know uh uh fusion of jamaican music is cool nice or jamaican music or caribbean music you know not like a huge world music guy but i love like a lot of latin music and all that you know and you heard of jungle fire no but i'm gonna go check it out yeah it's good stuff a local la group um it's like afro funk soul and a latin flavor I'm i'm a soul head you know, yeah. I, I love soul music. Just right. like this that's is, yeah. that's my. This is know. all instrumental and it's funky. It's yeah, yeah, I, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that, that's up my alley. Like, um, I'm trying to think of. Um, I mean, maybe not as much, but like Quantic, maybe or like um, what's that group? Um, the KCRW plays a lot, but yeah, no, I mean, um, you know, I I think I think there's a lot of exciting music coming out right now. I think finding it is a bit more of the challenge, the filter it and yeah. everything. You know what I mean? Exactly. You um, heard a you heard a King Loth. Yeah, yeah, I've I've been listening to his his stuff lately. It's crazy. Yeah, that's the that's the Latino dude from L.A. No, no, no. King Los is out of um, and I don't know who else has his name, but no, I think the dude's Los or something. Okay, Sorry, yeah. Who's King Los? Um, Baltimore, out of Baltimore. Oh no, okay. Was I guess for years kind of signed to Diddy, you know, okay. wrote for different artists and. You know, is now doing his own thing. He has a record called War with Marsha Ambrosius, um, which is crazy. And it's just, it's just, he's telling real street stories, but it's like pure spit, you know. Oh, okay, yeah, check that out. And, and, and it's got a nice little melodic thing to it. He has a couple records. He has, he has one with um, Ty Dolla Sign, um, uh, you know, that's, that's more for the radio and things like that. Ty Dolla Sign's genius, man. Yeah. To me. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm been riding to him. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I, I I'm looking for uh, more filters and more ways to help me discover. I got you covered. Yeah, I, I do a monthly uh, playlist. Oh, I need on that. Spotify. Oh, I'm signing. I'm following you immediately. There you go. It's, yeah. and it's just all underground. Oh yeah. Raw. Love it. Yeah. I'm stealing. Yeah, You're gonna man. see some of that stuff up on 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 the HBO show. I'm doing. Hey man, yeah, <laughs> I'll be happy to help you. Yeah, yeah. No, it was great. You know when um when I interviewed for that job, I knew the showrunner, but I didn't know the creator, Issa Rae. 
Okay. Right. You know, oh, right. Tell us the name of the show. This show's called Insecure, and uh, it was it was based off a web series called The Misadventures of an Awkward Black Girl. It's a really amazing story, how she got it made. I mean, especially in this day and age of Hollywood with a lack of, you know, roles for diversity, you know, of women of color and things like that. Strong. You know, she created her own lane, you know, did this web series, and it was successful, and but so I knew the showrunner, uh, this guy uh, Prentice Penny, real real great guy, and he he called me in for the interview, but I didn't know her, and they were like, make a playlist, you know, like we really liked you, but we make sure your sensibilities are on point, make a playlist, and so I was like, man, I just hit up all these DJs and friends mm-hmm. of mine, and I made a fire ass. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I got hired immediately. They called me right back. And we're like, you're hired. That's what's up. Okay. So, um, yeah, we have to definitely hear that. Is that on Spotify? <laughs> yeah. Follow okay. me on Spotify. Right. Paul there underscore DJP underscore Stewart. Okay. That's also my Instagram. Okay. Overtheedgebooks.com or Instagram, overtheedgebook. Uh-huh. Boom. Yeah, you're you're not hard to find. No, send us material, too, if anyone's out there and has anything they're looking to get published, you know. We're small but scrappy. Small but scrappy. There we got on Meltdown Podcast. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> That's pretty jazzy. Oh, Major. after you just got done telling us how many podcasts you've been on for the past <laughs> however long. Oh, we're man. like the last one. Screw those podcasts. <laughs> it's right. about this yeah. one, man. <laughs> we appreciate that. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on, Paul. This, is, this has been good, man. And... Oh, man. Thanks for the love, man. Next time I come, I'm bringing a bunch of copies, extra copies of books for everybody. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the appreciate the love, man. Money, you just got to come back. Yeah, anytime. Right. I love meltdown. And meltdown. I'd, I'd spend all my money here. That's why I leave. <laughs> there you go. Boom. Check Boom. it out on some hip hop shit. Meltcomics.com. Thanks, well, guys. Nice. Appreciate it, man. So, uh, what is your? Um, hey, man. So. Uh, This episode of On Some Hip Hop Shit was produced by Brandon Schultz and Adam Silverstein, engineered by Mason Booker, and recorded at the Meltcast Podcast Studios, Hollywood, California. They got street legends. Our theme was produced by King Smo of the Animal Crackers, and a special thanks Francisco, Gaston, Mark, and Mike Davis. Artwork by Self Uno. Tweet to us at our brand new handle at on some hip hop shit, and that is what's up. <laughs>